MacCast, Sunday, September 11th, 2022. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Mac. Dash, how you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Mac and Apple news, information, hints, tips, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How you doing? Yeah, I'd say uh, it's a good, good week to be talking about Apple stuff because... Finally, after a long wait and many, many months of rumors, as you likely know from listening to this podcast, we actually have some new products to talk about. Yes, Apple had its far out event, and we are going to be getting into all of the nitty gritty and the items and the cool stuff. And I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions and let you know what I'm going to be picking up and purchasing. And hopefully you'll write back and give me your comments and thoughts on how you thought all the new product announcements went and what you're excited about and maybe not so excited about and what items you might be uh, picking up and uh, and getting. So we'll get into all of those. And then I've got a teeny tiny bit of Apple TV Plus news. That'll round out the news for this week. And then we're going to get into some of uh, your feedback. Uh, we have some follow-up on floor floor plan apps. I actually found some new ones based on a listener recommendation that I want to talk to you about. We're going to talk about AirTags and AirTag batteries. I learned some things this week that I wasn't aware of, so I'm going to share those with you. And then I have a thing of a thing of the moment based on actually a couple bits of feedback from two different listeners that kind of lined up with each other just magically. So it was a very, very interesting week with everything that was happening. I say we just get right into all of the cool stuff that Apple announced at their Far Out event. And I have to say, overall, I, I think my general impression of this event, uh, or at the product lineup, I guess I should say, if I were to sum it up kind of in a couple words, is that it's refinement. A lot of really nice refinement on a lot of their products, and then add in some surprises. So I think... There's not much more you can ask for in an Apple event than that, right? Like some good, cool new updates to products and then a few surprises kind of sprinkled in. And they were really, really good surprises. So we're going to get into those. I'm going to kind of go in the order talking about what Apple announced in the order. They kind of covered things in this in the keynote. And they started off with Apple Watch, Apple Watch Series 8. Again, a lot of nice small feature improvements, no size or design changes of any significance, but they did add a new sensor, a temperature sensor that enables some women's health features. They have a sensor in the bottom and one at the top, and the reason they have two temperature sensors is so that they can make it more accurate because they can read the outside temperature and then your body temperature, and then they can use those two readings to give you more accurate results. And really the focus of this new temperature sensor is about cycle tracking and women's ovulation cycle. So they're going to be able to track that. And that is going to help a lot of women. And I think that's really, really great. 
What's not clear is if the sensor can be used for temperature tracking in any other kind of situation. I would imagine there are other applications for this, but Apple didn't really talk about those. And I don't think that's a big deal, but it did bring up a lot of questions. I've had a lot of you reach out to me and say, hey, can I use this for something else? Uh, I think I had one listener reach out and said, hey, I have diabetes and this would be really helpful for me to kind of track my health and maybe get alerts. So it's not clear. Right now, Apple has said it's basically focused on that. Another big improvement, I guess with Apple Watch, there were a lot of health and safety improvements. So another big improvement there was to the accelerometers. They added a new accelerometer that can detect high G-forces, and they're going to be using that accelerometer to add car crash detection. So if you are in a severe accident, it's going to be able to detect that. It will automatically after you know a period where the screen comes up and kind of asks you if you're okay. If you're not or you're unable to respond, it will contact your emergency contacts automatically, also contact help and emergency services. And so that is another big feature that's going to help a lot of people probably save a lot of lives. So that's pretty amazing. They also announced that there's going to be a new low power mode. This is actually enabled by watchOS 6, and it will allow you to extend the battery, basically double the battery life if you enable this mode, taking it from an 18-hour battery life to up to 36 hours. So if you uh, are away and, and aren't going to be able to charge your watch overnight and you need that extended battery, you can, you can enable this mode. And because it's software-based, it's actually going to work for any Apple Watch that can run watchOS 9, meaning... Apple Watch Series 4 or later. And Apple did say that Apple Watch Series 9 is going to be released on Monday, September 12th. So likely by the time you're hearing this podcast, it's already out and you can play around with that feature. Basically, it disables a few things. I believe some of the background sensor operations and stuff like that. So it's still going to be able to do all your activity tracking and, and other things, but it's going to turn off some of the features that you probably don't need running as frequently, and that'll help overall save on battery life. The cellular models now offer international roaming, uh, which is a nice new feature if you use the cellular Apple Watch. And Apple did announce that the Nike Apple Watch faces are all going to or going to be made available to all Apple Watch models, starting with Watch OS 9. And then in another little announcement uh, related to not specifically Apple Watch, but Apple Fitness Plus, they said in the fall, Apple Fitness Plus is no longer going to require an Apple Watch to work. So you don't have to have an Apple Watch to use Apple Fitness Plus. Uh, as far as colors go, the Apple Watch is going to be available in the aluminum models in Midnight, Starlight, Silver, and Product Red. And then the stainless steel models are going to be offered in Silver, Gold, and Graphite. And prices start at $399 for the GPS model and $499 for the cellular. So pricing remaining uh, the same as the previous generation Apple Watch Series 7. So again, some nice little features and enhancements to Apple Watch. Then they talked about Apple Watch SE, and it was kind of more of the same. The design remains mostly the same, but it has been updated with the new S8 chip, which is the same chip that you're going to find in the Apple Watch Series 8. So that's nice, a nice big bump up in the processor. Um, one design change that I'm not so sure how I feel about this, 
They said it has a color-matched nylon back instead of metal. Apple says this helps reduce weight. I would assume it also helps reduce cost uh, in terms of the case. But to me, that feels like a little bit of a downgrade. You don't have the unibody aluminum, you know, all aluminum case anymore. So I understand, you know, they want to cut costs. It's the lower price model, but it feels a little bit cheap to me, if I'm being honest. A uh, few other things to note about the Apple Watch SE. It doesn't have the ECG app or the blood oxygen sensor, but it does support the new accelerometer and the new car crash detection feature that Apple uh, announced for the Series 8. It also gets the international roaming. It supports the low power mode because, again, that's in software. And it comes in silver, midnight, and starlight. The pricing was dropped. It now starts at $249 US for the GPS model and $299 for the cellular model. So really good pricing on Apple Watch SE. And I think part of the reason for the price drop is that Apple also discontinued selling the $199 US Apple Watch Series 3, which frankly was pretty long in the tooth and probably no one should have been buying anyway. So the new lower priced SE2 is now the low-cost option, and I think it's a much better device for people looking to get in at the entry level for Apple Watch. And then, then Apple announced what I consider to be arguably the star of the show. This was an interesting keynote because I think they opened up with one of the most impressive products and most impressive product updates of the entire keynote, and that was the new extreme sports Apple Watch that we were expecting. Apple is calling it the Apple Watch Ultra. And it really is the first major redesign and rethinking of the Apple Watch since the Apple Watch was released. It's much larger. It's a big chunky design, 49 millimeter with an all titanium case. It looks really, really extreme and really, really cool. It also looks like nothing else on the market. Uh, It feels like Apple's really going after uh, companies like Garmin with this type of product, but really the product doesn't look like anything else on the market. It's got a larger digital crown. It's much chunkier. It's got bigger grooves in it. It sticks up a little bit. It actually has protections on the side. It sticks up so you can use it with gloves. And it also features this dedicated programmable action button on the side that you can custom configure, and then it also can be configured to do certain actions within apps. So you can use it to like quickly start a workout, to enable the flashlight or torch mode, and then within individual apps, the app developers can take advantage of it to uh, trigger certain actions within their app. So that is really, really cool. It's in international orange. It's orange. Uh, there really is only one design, uh, one color for the this watch. It has additional bands that you can dress it up with. We'll talk about those here in a second. Um, In terms of the display, so the display kind of sits up above the main body of the Apple Watch. It is a flat sapphire crystal display that's protected by a slightly raised edge around the sides. Um, It has cellular features built into it standard, so there's no GPS versus cellular option. You get GPS and cellular. 
the GPS is actually upgraded to a new dual frequency GPS. So it's going to be more accurate than ever before. It's going to be able to be more accurate in places where you might be in a city with really high skyscrapers or in a dense forest where the GPS signal normally wouldn't be able to get through. So that's a nice little update. And it offers a much brighter display two times brighter, up to 2,000 nits, which is incredibly bright. So that's going to help when you're out in bright sunlight to actually be able to read and see the display. And it has a huge battery, 36-hour battery life. And it will be, Apple says, capable of up to 60 hours of battery life with a new low-power battery optimization setting that they say will be available this fall. And essentially, again, that reduces the frequency of GPS and heart rate readings and some of the other things in the background to help optimize the battery and make it last longer, which is going to be very important when you're, you know, going out for a long trail run and and really using this the way it's meant to be used. Uh, it's going to have a, it has a, or rather, it does have a better microphone array. Uh, with better noise canceling for making calls in extreme environments like high wind and those sorts of things. Um, it has a new watch face that just loads up the complications and also has the really a really cool mode you can enable by turning the digital crown to make it a red night mode display. So it's a high contrast red on black display great for stargazing and looking at the stars anybody who's in astronomy knows how that works or into astronomy knows how that works it has improved speakers so they're much louder and also features a 86 decibel siren built in for emergencies so if you need help you can activate that and it can be heard supposedly from up to 600 feet away for divers, they really focused on the water resistance. It has a WR100 level water resistance rating, and you can get time underwater readings. You can get depth readings from it and a whole bunch more. They're actually partnered with a company, and they're going to be releasing a dive computer app for divers. It has a, with the water resistance rating, its water resistance rating is up to 100 meters, and they say it can be used for recreational scuba diving up to 40 meters. It also has all of the other features of the Apple Watch Series 8, so, you know, the crash detection, the temperature sensor, all those sorts of features are also built in to the Ultra. And then, like I said, there's a bunch of cool new bands for it that are really customized by activity. They have the Alpine Loop, which is targeted at hiking, uh, the Ocean Loop, which is for extreme water sports, high-velocity water sports and diving. They have the Trail Trail Loop, which is for, you know, extreme runners. And then the bands will actually fit the 44 millimeter and 45 millimeter Apple watches. So while they do come with the new 49 millimeter ultra, it uses the same connector. So they are backwards compatible. That also means that any of the existing bands that Apple offers that fit the 45 millimeter or 44 millimeter Apple watches will also work on the ultra. So they're all totally swappable. And I really like the look of the Alpine loop band. So I might be getting that one for myself. And here's where one of the big surprises came in. Because if you remember the rumors, we were all expecting this new Extreme Apple Watch to 
probably start being priced at $1,000. I think some rumors had put it at $1,200, like $1,199. Apple came in, and the price on the Ultra is $799. Now, that is a lot for a smartwatch. It's a lot for an Apple Watch. But considering that you get the Wi-Fi, the cellular, you get all the improved GPS, you get all that ruggedness, you get the titanium case, they packed a lot in for that price point. In the past, just for a titanium Apple Watch, you would have been paying, I think, about $150 more, and it didn't have all these advanced features. It wasn't extreme. It wasn't ruggedized. Uh, it didn't have the water ratings. Like, there is a lot in here. And I was kind of thinking about this. $799 is actually the same price if you were to buy a 45 millimeter stainless steel model Apple Series 8 with cellular it's exactly the same price, $799. So I think I'd rather opt for, at that price point, the titanium case and all the additional features of the Ultra for the same price point. So I'm not really sure how that fits in other than 49 millimeters. It's really chunky. It is going to be a big watch. So if that's not your style, you might want to stick with the uh, the Series 8. But man, that's... that. That's a tough purchase decision. I think Apple really prices aggressively. If you look at other extreme sports watches on the market, it's right in there. Uh, depending upon the feature set, those can range anywhere from $500 to $1,500. So they're kind of right in the middle. It's going to be interesting to see how that community responds to this watch. But I have a feeling Apple did a lot of their homework and they really targeted specific people. And... Uh, it seems to be selling really well because they're already delayed into mid-October in terms of ordering. Uh, they The first versions of these are going to come out on September 23rd. That's the release date. They're obviously are already on sale. If you want to get one, though, get Apple Care for it because... According to Apple, any repair outside of a battery replacement, which is a reasonable $99... Any other repair, if you don't have AppleCare, is going to run you $499. So not cheap to get this thing fixed. <laughs> so I would advise getting AppleCare, you know, and uh, if you pick one of these up. And man, I am tempted. I have to tell you, I am very tempted on the Apple Watch Ultra. I have a Series 6. Really, I'm not in the target market for this watch, and I'm not really looking for a new Apple Watch, but... Don't be surprised if you hear me say in a few months, yeah, I ended up getting an Apple Watch Ultra, especially when those reviews start coming out and people start saying how cool these things are because they look just amazing. I'm super excited about Apple Watch Ultra. Like I said, I think it was the star of the show. And there's a lot of other good things we have to talk about still. And one of those good things is AirPods Pro 2. We've been hearing about the rumors of this for a very long time. I've been waiting on this update for a very long time because my AirPods Pro stopped working. As you know, I think I've talked about it a few times on the show. I ended up getting some Beats Studio Buds to kind of get me through. I've been waiting for these. So super excited that they have a lot of nice enhancements. But again, not a lot of big changes, a lot of refinement, uh, a lot of really nice, cool new features, but I would not call it a, you know, a revolutionary update. So there is an upgraded H2 chip that's going to bring 
a lot better sound quality. They've got new low distortion audio drivers and a custom amplifier. So overall, the sound's just supposed to be better. Um, in terms of the design, they still have the stems. We had heard that they might not have stems, but they're still there. Apple did enhance them, though. There's new touch controls on the stems, so you can control volume up and down in addition to the force touch sensors that still operate in the same way. Uh, for folks with smaller ears, there's a new extra small ear tip option, um, so you can get a little bit better fit. Apple says it has to uh, up to two times better noise cancellation. Noise cancellation on the AirPods Pro are is already amazing. So if it's twice as good, I, I can only imagine. I can't wait to hear these things. Uh, you can have now personalized spatial audio. So you'll be able to use your iPhone to scan your head and your ear. And it will adapt the spatial audio specifically for you. There's a new adaptive transparency mode. And what this means is when you're in transparency mode, the microphones kick in and you're, you know, you're able to get that enhancement of outside audio. But if you go into an environment where there's an extreme sound like a siren or a jackhammer or construction and stuff like that, it will detect that and it will lower those really loud sounds and overall should just sound better. There's one hour of more, uh, one hour more battery life. So they upped it from five hours of, of play to six hours. And on the battery case, it's up to six hours. So you can now get 30 hours from the battery case. And really, I think it's the charging case where Apple surprised us a little bit. Maybe didn't surprise us, but really put in the, the big enhancements because we had heard about all these, basically all the things we'd been talking about in terms of rumors for the charging case came true, has a speaker built in with find my support uh, that will also be able to play sounds when you plug it in for charging and when you set up pairing. Uh, the case itself has an IPX4 rating, so it has additional sweat resistance. There is also now a lanyard loop on the side, although the lanyard's not included. But if you want to be able to hook it to your keys or to a backpack or something like that so you don't lose the charging case, you can do that. But obviously, it's got you know, support for Find My in there now, so you should be able to find it even if you do misplace it. You can activate that speaker. Um, it does still have a lightning connector, which was a bit surprising to me. I really thought this time around Apple would go with USB-C and continue that migration of moving their products to USB-C, but sticking with lightning, at least for the time being, um, it has some new wireless charging features. You can now charge it with your Apple Watch charger, it also brings the MagSafe charger compatibility. So if you have a MagSafe charger, you can use that. And of course, you can still use your Qi wireless chargers as well. So pretty much anything that you know can wirelessly charge either from Apple or a third party will be able to charge your AirPods Pro. And in terms of the pricing, it stayed exactly the same, $249. And these will start shipping September 23rd as well. Now, one thing that had been rumored that did not show up in the AirPods Pro was support for Apple lossless audio. Um, what's interesting is AirPods Pro 2 does seem to have support for, or does have support for Bluetooth 5.3, which means technically it should be capable of supporting the new LE audio, uh, low energy audio. But Apple didn't talk about that at all, so it's not clear if it will or not. Basically, LE audio 
allows for better audio quality at lower bit rates, improved battery for audio playback. You can do multi-stream audio and you can connect to multiple source devices at the same time. So that would mean technically your, your AirPods Pro, if it was using LE audio, could connect to your iPhone and your Mac at the same time so you wouldn't have to actually do any switching. That could be an interesting experience too, but Apple didn't talk about that, so it's not clear if they have LE audio support in there or not, but at least the, it's updated in the Bluetooth spec where it could support it if Apple should choose to allow it. So we'll have to see if that happens. And uh, just an interesting thing of note on some of the features uh, Apple did talk about the release date for iPad OS and Mac OS Ventura. Those are not going to be out until October. And so that does mean that some of the new features in AirPods Pro, like the personal spatial audio and the Find My feature, those aren't going to likely work on iPads or Macs until their software gets updated in the fall. So there's going to be you know, a couple weeks of uh, a delay between the time you get your new AirPods Pro and when they're working on all your devices, which is a little bit weird, or at least all the functionality is working on all your devices. So that's a little bit weird, but that's just how it's planning out in ter- panning out in terms of the release timeline. And then as far as the older generation of AirPods go, there was a little update to the third generation of AirPods they added a non-wireless charging case option for $10 less. So you can get that at US $169 versus $179. I don't know why you'd want to do that because for $10, you can get the wireless charging case with MagSafe support and all that good stuff. And yeah, $10 is not that much more to spend, but there you go. There's that option out there. And that was kind of silently updated in the background. And then we got to, I think, what Apple considers the star of this event to be, which is the new iPhones, iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Pros. And as expected, Apple is not doing an iPhone 14 mini. They are doing an iPhone 14 Plus. So the new size, 6.7 inches. So basically same size as the iPhone Pro Max, but in an iPhone version. And they still have the iPhone 14 at 6.1 inches. Design staying pretty much exactly the same. But the iPhone uh, mini, not quite dead yet. uh, Because Apple is still selling the iPhone 13 mini. And they're doing that at a slightly reduced price of US $599. So if you still want the mini size... You have to get last year's model, but it is still available. So Apple didn't totally kill it off yet. Um, With the iPhone 14s, the overall design is pretty much exactly the same as the iPhone 13s. So nothing really changed on the outside. On the inside, it does now feature the same 6-core A15 Bionic chip that was used in the iPhone 13 Pro models from last year. So a little bit of a processor bump, but not to the new uh, A16 like the Pro models have. Uh, It will feature a brighter display with peak brightness up to 1,200 nits. So a little jump in the display. Uh, They did update the main camera a little bit. There's a new larger 12 megapixel sensor that should offer better low light performance. And it now has autofocus on the front facing uh, FaceTime camera. And then along with that, Apple did make improvements to their deep fusion image processing pipeline. They're now calling it 
photonic engine. They're saying it kicks in earlier in the process, and it's really targeted at flushing out a lot of the low light capabilities. So low light photos should look a lot better with the new iPhone 14s. Um, iPhone 14 also brings improved battery life up to an hour longer overall than the iPhone 13. And the iPhone 14 Plus, because it's so huge and not as energy hungry as the Pro, is now the Apple's longest lasting iPhone in terms of battery. So if you're looking for extreme battery performance in an iPhone, take a look at the iPhone 14 Plus. Uh, Interesting move in the US models. They are getting rid of the SIM tray. So only in the US at this point. They are going to just offer eSIM. So uh, you'll have that. I don't know how... I'm curious what, if any, issues that's going to cause for overseas travelers because I know a lot of people who take their iPhones overseas and they'll buy a local SIM card and pop that in there. Maybe eSIM just fully supports that overseas. I don't know why Apple is only getting rid of the SIM card tray on US models, but I have a suspicion it has something to do with some of that. So I don't travel a lot, especially internationally, so I'd love to hear from anybody who does how they feel about the loss of the the physical SIM card tray on US phones. Is this a problem or is this not a problem? Shoot me some feedback, maccast at gmail.com. And then we heard about a feature coming to iPhone 14, iPhone 14 Plus, actually the entire iPhone 14 lineup that had been rumored, I think, last year, but didn't come to fruition. And that was support for emergency satellite calls, basically emergency SOS satellite feature. And Apple developed this this in a way where they can find and track satellites with your iPhone. So it can go into this emergency mode where you can, if you are outside and have kind of clear line of sight, you can use the iPhone and an interface to actually hone in and find satellites. And the reason they need this is normally like a satellite phone. If you've ever seen the movies, they have this big honking antenna and that's because it's hard to locate and find the satellites. So they worked, developed this new way to do that. And this allows you to make emergency calls when you don't have access to Wi-Fi or cellular. So it only kick in then, and it is only for emergency situations. You can't actually make phone calls. You can just send little text messages. And as a matter of fact, Apple kind of has some canned responses and questions. So if you get in an emergency situation where you need to use this, it'll kind of walk you through this wizard and help get the right message to emergency services. Apple says in the best conditions, messages should take, once you've established the satellite connection, about 15 seconds, but they can take up to several minutes depending on the situation. But at the very least, you're able to get help without access to a cellular tower, and you can also send location and uh, get that information to emergency services. So this, again, is a feature that's likely going to save lives, which is really, really cool. The service is going to be provided in the fall, and Apple's offering the service free with a new iPhone purchase for the first two years. Service is going to reportedly be provided by a company called Global Star, and Apple has not commented on the cost of the service once you're past your free two years of service. I have a feeling we'll hear more about that as we get closer to that deadline, and it could be possible Apple could continue to offer the service for free 
depending. So we'll just have to wait and see. The satellite SOS feature will work at first in the U.S. and Canada, and it even will work for international travelers, except for customers from China, mainland China, Hong Kong, or Macau, uh, because the service just isn't offered there. I, I don't know if there's political reasons behind that. It doesn't really say, but that was just kind of in the fine print and worth noting. Also in the fine print and worth noting is that the service does not work if you're above 62, 62 degrees latitude. So that would include parts of northern Canada and Alaska. So I guess it works everywhere in the U.S. except Alaska. So just be aware of that. And uh, these new phones, speaking of safety features, also do have new accelerometers that support the high G-force readings. So they also support the new car crash detection feature, same as the Apple Watch. For Wi-Fi, they're supporting Wi-Fi 6, but not the latest Wi-Fi 6E standard. I don't think that's going to impact most people, but it is just worth noting. Um, So they're not totally up to date with the latest Wi-Fi 6 standards. And the new models all have 6 gigabytes of RAM. That's up from 4 gigabytes in the iPhone 13 models. Now, the iPhone 13 Pro models had 6 gigabytes, but now it's 6 gigabytes of RAM across the entire lineup. Colors for the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Plus are Midnight, Starlight, Blue, Purple, and Red. Um, And... Pricing for the iPhone 14 starts at $799 US and $899 US for the Plus. They are shipping September 16th, already on sale uh, for the iPhone 14 model. Interestingly, the iPhone 14 Plus model doesn't ship until October. It's starting shipping on October 7th. And then I just wanted to talk a little bit about the pricing, because while the pricing has remained the same in the U.S. and China, there's been some reports noting that there are price increases in other countries like the U.K., Europe, Japan, and several other places. And I just want to put a little clarification on this, because I was kind of looking into it, and prices definitely have increased in other countries But you need to be careful when you read reports that say they've gone up by a specific amount, especially when it seems like it's a massive price increase over the U.S. Because there's a few things that are likely going on. One thing to be aware of is that U.S. prices do not include sales tax, whereas a lot of pricing in other countries, specifically the U.K. and and Europe, the pricing that Apple displays on their website includes value-added taxes, which can be like 18 20%. They can be pretty high. So you really have to, if you're going to do an apples-to-apples comparison of prices in certain countries and the U.S., you got to make sure you subtract out that extra VAT tax and then do your currency conversions. And so pricing might not be as extreme as you think. And that's not to minimize the fact that certain countries have higher prices. You talk about Brazil and places like that iPhones and just Apple products in general are massively more expensive there. And so another factor that goes into pricing in other countries is that a lot of countries have very heavy import taxes. Those are passed on to consumers and factored into the pricing that you see. And then finally, just overall, yes, state of the world right now, exchange rates being the way they are, 
U.S. dollar remains fairly strong, and so Apple does make adjustments based on currency exchange rates. So again, not trying to say there aren't price increases and price disparities between what we pay in the U.S. and other countries, but when you see all these news reports saying they're massively extreme, take that with a grain of salt, do your own research, and really figure out what the actual price differences are. I, I think like, again, for the UK overall, it's about a $20 price difference. And there were websites reporting like $150 or 150 pounds more in the UK than in the US. But a big chunk of that is the, uh, is the VAT taxes. Uh, iOS 16 will be available and will be launched on September 12th. So Monday, September 12th, likely by the time you hear this podcast, and then uh, some interesting changes to Apple Care Plus for iPhone. It now supports unlimited accidental damage repairs. So previously, I think you had two incidents. You do have to pay the the uh, the ninety nine dollar. I think it's ninety nine dollar US deductible each time. But now you can do that unlimited times. So if you're really clumsy and you drop your phone and smash the screen a lot, yep, uh, screen repairs I think are twenty nine bucks, and you can do those over and over and over again. So there's that. There's also a separate theft and loss Apple Care Plus plan. So if you need that, you get two inci- two incidents of loss or theft covered. And then this is kind of a cool new thing. There apparently is a new accessibility feature available in the iPhone 14 models, and this would include the Pro models, that allows you to add a startup and shutdown sound that plays when you boot the phone or when you shut it down. Again, this is an accessibility feature, I guess something that a lot of folks have asked for so that they can know audibly when the phone is rebooting. And it's probably enabled by a new boot ROM in the iPhone 14 models, you know, because it has to actually happen before the operating system actually kicks in and loads. So it is a hardware feature. So it's probably not going to be available ever on any other models, but I would assume all models moving forward and you'll be able to enable that feature from within the accessibility settings. So some cool new things coming for iPhone 14. Then finally, Apple has the iPhone 14 Pro models and I, so the iPhone 14 Pro, iPhone 14 Max, and as expected, Apple saved the big updates and enhancements this year for their Pro models. It comes with all of the enhancements from the iPhone 14, 14s that we just talked about. So you know, crash detection and and all those sorts of things, but then gets more on top of that. So overall, the design and sizes for the iPhone 14 Pros stayed true to the previous generation iPhone 13 Pros. So 6.1 inches, 6.7 inches, same outer case design, nothing really changing there, except the notch. As expected, the notch is gone. It has been replaced not by the rumored pill plus punch hole design, but rather by a pill design Apple is calling, (laughs) you got to love Apple marketing, the Dynamic Island. And this thing is actually really, really cool. Overall, Apple says, I think the pill is about 30% smaller than the notch. Um, But what they've done is rather than trying to ignore the notch or ignore the pill, they have leaned into it. They're calling it the Dynamic Island. And basically, they're using it as a, u- a user interface element. It's something that you actually interact with. It provides Im- information and statuses. It will expand out 
and it can have little interactive elements. It can have informational elements. So say, for example, you've started a timer. It'll indicate that you started a timer. It'll show the amount of time remaining. Uh, if you are got your music playing, you've got music controls in there, you can tap and hold on elements and they will pop up additional information. You can kind of have two of these. It is super, super cool. Like, this is kind of the way to handle something like this. It's like, it's not a, it's not an annoyance. It's actually a, a useful feature. And I think it's brilliant. I think it is really, really genius. And it works with most of Apple's existing apps. And even better yet, it's going to be available to third-party apps that want to take advantage of it through APIs. So your favorite apps, I'm sure, are going to be leveraging this in all kinds of cool and creative ways. I love it when Apple creates something like this because... Developers will get it, get their hands on it, and they're just going to make it even cooler. There's going to be all kinds of fun stuff for this. You just watch. And so it's really going to make using the device a lot of fun. And I just one comment on the Dynamic Island. I think for me, while technically it's smaller than the notch, my first impressions are because it's detached from the edge, as cool as it is, it makes it to me feel a little bit more intrusive in certain applications specifically anything anytime you're doing any kind of full screen thing like full screen videos because again it's not just relegated to the edge there's that little bit of a gap so it kind of sits right on the left edge of your content and I think it looks a little bit more obvious but that's just my personal opinion first impression having not seen it in person or used it yet I could change my mind, but that's just what I'm thinking. I'd love to know what you think about it. But again, the Dynamic Island stuff, really, really cool. Kind of a funky name. A lot of people are commenting that they don't like the name. I don't know what else Apple could have called it, to be honest. Like, it could have had some boring name, but at least Dynamic Island is kind of exciting. And it and it does kind of indicate what it is, you know, rather than, you know, extra pill button menu or like, I don't know what else you'd call it, but I'm sure Apple's marketing team had a fun, uh, fun time coming up with that one. The display on the iPhone 14 pros is up to two times brighter, up to 2000 nits. And it does offer a one Hertz always on feature. So you could have, an, just like your Apple Watch, an always-on display. You'll be able to see the time. You'll be able to see widgets. You'll be able to see live activities. And it has a really cool feature where it dims your background, your, your screen background, but does it in a way where it kind of maintains the color tone. So it looks really cool. And uh, again, you'll be able to have all always-on display, something people have wanted for a while. It uses Apple's newest A16 4 nanometer processor. And while that's really, really cool and an improvement, if you're not going to go all the way up to the Pro and you're worried about performance, I wouldn't worry about it too much because early benchmarks seem to indicate that uh, the A16 has about an 11% single-core score improvement and a 17% multi-core multi score improvement in, Geek, in Geekbench benchmarks over the a15 bionic so it's not extremely faster and i have to tell you with my iphone i don't know about you but i've never felt like any recent iphone that i've had is a slouch in terms of performance so i i don't know what more performance i'm looking for um other than to say oh i've got an a16 you only have an a15 like who cares right doesn't really matter but 
you know, there it is. This one has an A16, the uh, non-pro model, A15. There are big improvements to the camera sensor in the pro model, specifically the wide angle camera that's been updated with the 48 megapixel sensor, like had been rumored. It is a quad pixel, so it will pixel bin down to 12 megapixel for better low light shots and performance. It's, it's adaptive. It's going to, you know, be able to, you know, recognize what kind of environment you are, what kind of photos you're taking and sort of adapt as needed. If you want to ensure you're always getting the full 48 megapixel performance out of it, you can shoot in Apple Pro Raw. Uh, just be aware if you do that, that it looks like those photos will take up to three times the storage space. So you might want to consider that when you're making your purchase. If you're going to be shooting Apple Pro Raw, you're probably going to want 512 or one terabyte of storage. So all the same storage options are available as in the previous generation. They also updated the ultra wide camera. They improved the telephoto camera. Uh, and they added a bigger, brighter, and smarter True Tone flash. So camera system upgraded across the board, basically. They added a new action video mode with image stabilization. So think Steadicam without actually having the hardware. The videos Apple showed of this were pretty impressive. They always are in the marketing, and then when you get them, they're they're good, but... It'll be interesting to see how good this actually is. Uh, but with the new camera system, looks like it should be a nice new feature, especially if you're uh, you're doing video. So get those steady cam shots without all the big gear and rigs. Just run around with your iPhone. It does have better GPS ac- accuracy. The Pro model does get the new same dual frequency GPS that Apple put in the new Apple Watch Ultra. Uh, and there are some new colors. You can get the iPhone Pro models in space black or the new deep purple color, which looks really, really nice, along with silver and gold. Starting prices for the iPhone models, and this was another surprise because we were expecting pricing to go up. They start at the same pricing, $999 US for the iPhone 14 Pro and $1099 for the Pro Max. And again, that pricing is going to vary by the country you're in, but that's how the U.S. pricing laid out. And the iPhone iPhone 14 Pro models are going to arrive September 16th. They're already on sale. Pre-orders happened on Friday. And uh, there were definitely some hiccups. I, you know, I got up to make my purchase. In case you're wondering, I ordered an iPhone 14 Pro I'm still on the pro side. I I just can't make the jump to the huge Max phone. It's just not a phone for me. Stuck with the iPhone 14 Pro, but I'm definitely getting the new deep purple color. Absolutely love it. I did order, like I mentioned earlier, my new AirPods Pro 2. So I'm looking forward to those. I will give you all my thoughts and opinions on what I think of those things once I have them in my hands. Um, but yeah, there were some hiccups for some people. It was a little bit frustrating. I don't know why after all these years, Apple still can't get launch day right, but I was definitely on Twitter and I saw some frustrations of people trying to get in, not able to get in, didn't go live right when Apple said they were going to go live. It seemed to come on live for different people at different times, different issues. I think the payment system started going down. I know some of the third party carriers specifically, I think T-Mobile was having trouble. So a little bit rocky. Uh, and items went quickly into delayed shipping dates with the pro models quickly slipping into October 
uh, ship times. So hopefully if you were in the market for one of these, you got your order in and are going to be getting it early. Um, but yeah, if you're looking at getting one now, be prepared to wait a little bit. And we, we were kind of expecting that. But overall, I think a really great event. Again, it was pre-recorded. Of course, really, really well done. A lot of slick marketing videos. Uh, the one for the Apple Watch Ultra is really cool, really well shot if you haven't seen that yet. Um, and I, again, I really think the Apple Watch Ultra was the star of the show. Uh, behind that, I would say it would be the iPhone 14 Pro. Some nice, really, really nice enhancements there. And again, nice updates to the AirPods. So again, across the board, I think some really nice enhancements and updates. If you're in the market for any one of these products, I think you're going to be very, very happy uh, to pick them up and happy with what's going on. You know, I was super excited about everything that was announced, as I said, uh, even to the point where I'm considering a new Apple Watch where I don't probably even need one. So that's what they do to us. That's what Apple does to us every time we want this stuff. Yeah, I got to hold off. I'm going to hold strong and uh, and keep my money for the other new stuff that's coming in October, right? So more new things to come. Maybe a new Apple TV in my future. I'm probably not going to get a new MacBook Pro, but maybe you are. Anyway, hold for October. Save some money over for that. Uh, but that was Apple's event, and I thought it was really, really good. One other thing to talk about in the news this week, and that's Apple TV+. Plus. You know I'm a huge Apple TV Plus fan. Uh, I love the the service. I'm loving the, the shows and content that are on there. We talk about them a lot here on the MacCast. And there's new data from Just Watch covering the period from January 2021 to August 2022 that indicates that Apple TV Plus has increased its portion of the global streaming market to 6%. And that might not sound that significant, but that's actually a growth of 29% over that period, which is significant. And it means that Apple's actually catching up with services like HBO Max, which have about a 7% share. So they're not far behind now. They were always kind of the little engine that could, and they're slowly catching up as we thought they might. And I think a lot of that, in my opinion, is due to the quality of their shows and quality of the content, and it's generating a lot of buzz. Shows, TV shows and movies, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff on Apple TV+. And the service is, you know, relatively inexpensive. And knock on wood, and hopefully they don't, they haven't jacked their prices up yet like every other service seems to have you know, like Hulu, Disney Plus, HBO, all raising my price. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Somebody's going to get cut off here pretty soon. And actually, I think it's going to be Netflix. And the report also kind of does note that, that longtime players like Amazon and Netflix are slowly losing share to some of these newcomer services like Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus. And I think it's because especially with Netflix, they got complacent about their content. They were just pumping out shows and a lot of them were just garbage, to be honest. There was just not quality there. And they kind of got away from the, you know, legacy content and, and all the great old shows, right? They were letting that go and they were filling in with all these Netflix shows. And a lot of them just weren't good. You know, outside of Stranger Things and maybe a handful of other things, just not good stuff. So I think, you know, coming in with quality and not quantity and coming in at a really competitive price has proven very, very well for Apple TV+. And I think they're going to continue to see gains and they're going to continue to grow in this space. And like I said, I don't think Apple's ever been after being the biggest. I think they want to be the best in terms of quality. And I think they're going to grow off of that. And I think it's really showing. And I've, I'm, in, I'm honestly impressed with how far they've come 
in just a couple years. And I think that's going to likely continue. So I'm bullish on Apple TV Plus, love the service, and I will be a subscriber for a significant time longer, even though I might kill off, like I said, some other services like hmm, Netflix, probably coming for you. Peacock, hmm. we'll see <laughs> how that goes. But I'd love your opinion on this. You know, what streaming services do you use? And is it getting kind of crazy, these price increases? And I know a lot of them are talking about offering free ad-supported services, which you do the free ad stuff. Yeah, uh, we'll see. All right, with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before I move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank my show sponsor, and that is ZocDoc. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you might know that I am a fan of board games. I love to sit down with my family and break out a game, something like Settlers of Catan or Ticket to Ride or King of Tokyo is one of our favorites. But one game I really don't like is the Hurry Up and Wait game, and that's especially when I am not feeling well, when I'm sick. We've all been there. You are not feeling well. You want to go see a doctor. You call to try and get an appointment and everything's booked out. They're telling you you have to wait weeks, if not months, to get an appointment. It's infuriating and doesn't make any sense because (laughs) you need to see someone now. And that's why I use the ZocDoc app to find quality in-network doctors who can see me within days not weeks. And ZocDoc makes it really easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. And plus, they offer real verified patient reviews so that you can find the right doctor for you, one that can actually see you in a timely manner. And that, believe me, that's like magic. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun, whether you're trying to straighten your teeth, fix an achy back, get a mole checked out, or anything else you need, ZocDoc has you covered. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting delivery to your house. You can search, find, and book doctors within a few taps. Find and review local doctors, read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. So now when you walk into your doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, find a doctor that's right for you, and book an appointment in person or remotely that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find or book a quality doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash MacCast. ZocDoc.com slash MacCast. A big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. You might remember a couple episodes ago, I had a listener write in and he was, I think he had a new home and he was looking to do some remodeling and redesigning of some rooms. And he was looking for an application that would allow him to quickly and easily build a floor plan and probably something that could use the sensors and the AR functions within the iPhone and was looking for some recommendations. I went out and I kind of found an application that I thought might work, but I also threw it out to you in the community and said, hey, does anybody know a cool application for doing this that is affordable? Because kind of what I found was really a lot of applications that were targeted at 
contractors. They were more business to business kind of applications or realtors or things like that. And they had kind of high cost monthly subscriptions or at least seemed to. And so I threw it out to the community and I received a recommendation from Robert and he says that most people can use a lot of these apps for free without having to pay for additional options or subscriptions. So a lot of these, while they're targeted at, you know, bigger businesses and, and like I said, contractors and realtors and stuff like that, they offer free tiers that can get you in for a little bit less. And so one of those apps, which I had actually seen, but I thought it was a little bit too expensive to kind of cover on the show, was an app called Magic Plan. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. And it does have an expensive subscription, but it turns out that you can actually use the app for free for two projects. And a project is basically like a house, right? Or if you were doing, if you're a contractor, it'd be a job, right? But most of us only have one house or maybe you have a vacation house. So maybe you have two houses. That's going to cover most people for their personal use. And what's really cool about the Magic Plan app is I downloaded this thing, and if you have an iPhone with the LiDAR sensor, so that's a newer iPhone, like an iPhone 12 or newer, it can do ceiling and wall detection. So literally, you can walk into a room, you activate the app, you, you point your iPhone at the floor, and then you point your iPhone at the ceiling, and it recognizes both of those. And then you just walk around the room, and you point it at a wall, you wait, it registers, you point it at another wall, you wait and it registers. You point. You just start pointing at walls. And if it ever doesn't detect a wall, it has this really cool corner detection feature that can even detect corners that are behind like objects. It can like figure out like where the corner is and you kind of mark out the corners. It walks you through that process. So you do the whole room and then it does auto detection of your doors, auto detection of your windows. And in a few minutes, you have a full floor plan with all of your measurements and everything like that. And I did watch a YouTube video because I was curious about the accuracy. And one reviewer did some checking and he did a scan just with the app itself. And the app also does support uh, laser measures. So if you want to get a laser tape measure, you can uh, connect that as well. He did a comparison and on average, the measure, the measurements uh, without you know the laser measure were off two to three percent in most cases there were some situations where it was more extreme up to maybe 10 percent difference but you know you can always go back and do some additional checking or something feels off but it is a great way if you just need kind of a again you just want to get some new furniture you just want to kind of lay out some things you're not actually doing construction this kind of thing could work great for you and like i said it's really fast and then you can go room to room to room and you can then use it to connect all your rooms together and you can make minor adjustments and and if you need to like adjust measurements it's pretty easy to use pretty easy to figure out and i thought it was great i'm going to be using this app for sure in my house and a similar app that robert also recommended and said he used was one called local locometric room scan again i'll have links to it in the show notes at maccast.com they offer a non-LiDAR version of their software. So it just you know uses the AR kit stuff. That's $7.99 one-time in-app purchase. And then there also is a LiDAR version that is £9.99 per month. It's a subscription. I couldn't tell if they had a free option. But uh, the non-LiDAR version, not too pricey at $7.99 to unlock all the features and functionality. So that's another one you can look at. But I was kind of most impressed by this Magic Plan 
app. And so if you're looking for something, check that out. Definitely watch the video that they show you how to use it because, you know, I described it, but you'll want to watch the video once once you understand how it works because that was what was confusing with a lot of these apps for me was just like, how do I do stuff? It can be a little bit confusing how you go in and make manual adjustments. Uh, the other nice thing about both of these applications is they also support uh, the iPad and the Apple Pencil, so you can you can use that as well. And Magic Plan uh, has a free cloud service, so once you make a scan, it will go and you have your project set up. It can go up to the cloud and it can sync. So I haven't played around with mine yet on my iPad because I haven't finished scanning my house, but definitely going to be doing that. So some cool new apps, and uh, Robert, thank you for making those recommendations. Now let's talk about AirTags a little bit. AirTags have been out for a while. Apple's little tracking tags, they work with Find My. I have a bunch of them. I think they're absolutely great. I have them on my keys and have them tracking different things. Uh, I have even played around with them, and I think I've talked about this on the show, that you can play around with them using them for um, HomeKit actions, right? You can use them to trigger actions with HomeKit and and uh, shortcuts and stuff like that. So if you haven't played around with that, that's a great use for them. But they've been around for a little while now. And so if you've been using them, it might be time to replace your batteries. And Gary had just that situation uh, and he emailed me and said, hey, I got an AirTag, you know, low battery notification. And I was reviewing the instructions from Apple on how to change the battery. It's pretty easy. They take a little coin cell battery and you just like twist the back of it and it pops open and you pop in a new battery. Um, but Apple has a support page with instructions and Gary was looking at that and then noticed something in the fine print. And this was something I hadn't heard about. It said when AirTag battery is low, Privacy protections are temporarily adjusted, and the AirTag may be trackable over Bluetooth. Huh. Lower privacy protections when it's low battery. So one, you probably want to change your batteries when you get the low battery notification. But then the second question was, what are they adjusting or what changes when the battery goes low? And I tried digging in on this um, to find out what the exact private, what exact privacy protections were adjusted. And for me, it was really hard to find any details. So if anybody has any insight on this and can point me to an article specifically from Apple, I was looking for something in Apple support articles, couldn't find any information. Best I could find was a guess on a, some guesses on a Reddit post. And I'll, I'll link to the Reddit post in show notes at maccast.com. But it sounds like what might be going on is when the battery is low Apple might not be able to change the public key on the AirTag as frequently. So one of the features of the AirTag is it has this public key that it's constantly sending out, you know, over its network to say, hey, I'm an AirTag and here I am and this is the AirTag I am. But to avoid being able to kind of track and identify the person that AirTag might be associated with, because obviously you don't know if you're just walking around, you see a random AirTag, there's a bunch of people around, right? Um if you saw that same person again with the same AirTag, typically that public key will have changed. So Apple's rotating that public key so it's not the same every time so that you can't kind of track a single person or identify the same person over a period of time. It sounds like what might happen is when the battery is low, they don't swap that number out as frequently. So there could be an opportunity where you're returning to the same area and you still have the same public key. And so someone might be able to discern over time that, oh, you're the person with that air tag and then start to kind of track you. So 
that was the theory. Again, I don't have any evidence behind this. This is just something in a Reddit post. Um, another thing that came up was uh, for the tracking over Bluetooth, that that could be related to a couple things. Um, one, the fact that you know normally AirTags work with the ultra wideband mode, and that uses more power. Um, so maybe when it goes into low power, they fall back on Bluetooth tracking to be a little more energy efficient. Um, and then the other thing is normally it's only you who can read or track your air tags that are paired to your devices, right? So they're kind of locked to your individual devices. Not anybody can just track them unless you actually go in and put them into lost mode. You're like, Hey, I lost my thing. I want to get it back open it up so that other people can, you know, find and, and recognize my air tag with the NFC and stuff like that. So maybe another thing when the battery gets slow is Apple allows the lost mode to turn on. And again, this is just my speculation because I can't find any information on it, but maybe it puts it into that lost mode, assuming that, hey, if the battery's dying, they've notified you of it and you haven't replaced the battery yet, maybe the thing's actually lost and separated and you just never activated lost mode. And this is like the last ditch effort before the air tag dies to allow it to be found before the battery dies. Again, just my speculation. Apple doesn't really specify anything other than that statement I, I gave you when air tag battery is low comma privacy protections are temporarily adjusted and air tag may be trackable over Bluetooth. So again, anybody have any more information on that? That would be great. The other thing that I discovered when I was doing this research about AirTags and batteries was that if you change your battery in your AirTag and it doesn't work with a brand new battery, it might be because something manufacturers are doing now is add, adding bitterant coatings, bitter coatings to their batteries, and that can interfere with the contacts, the little contacts that are in your AirTag. And the reason they're adding these coatings is apparently these things are a huge um, risk for children. A lot of children are finding these babies and eating them, basically swallowing them. And so they add this bitter coating so that they won't do that. I don't know what parents are out there are leaving button cell batteries lying around their house, but I guess it's a thing that happens if you have children and you have button cell batteries, put them in a cabinet, keep them locked away. Like don't let, don't leave those things lying around. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a problem. And Apple says they actually have a sport article that talks about this, that sometimes those coatings can block the connections in the air tag. So you might want to find or try to get batteries without coatings. If you don't have children, I think, I think they're a good safety feature if you have children around just in case. But again, be careful with these batteries. Um, and if you do have the ones with the coating, you can remove the coating with just a little bit of alcohol, uh, alcohol wipe or something like that. So you just, you know, do it along the edge where it's going to make contact when you put it into your air tag and you should be fine. So shouldn't be a big deal, but just something to be aware of. I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have thought I just had, you know, a dead or bad new battery and probably try to send it back to Amazon or somebody. But yeah. Just a couple little things about air tags and batteries that I learned this week that I thought I'd share with you. So the last thing that I have for you today is a thing that has some interesting timing behind it. And this often happens to me where I'll kind of get the same question or related questions all around the same time. And I don't know what triggers it because it's coming from different people. But I have a listener, Michael, who has an Airport Express he says, hey, I've been using this Airport Express. I have it hooked up to an old stereo in a bedroom in order to 
airplay music through it. And it's, you know, historically worked great. And I don't really want to get rid of this old stereo because the old stereo works and sounds great. But, you know, over the years, the Airport Express has become less and less reliable. Uh, obviously, you can no longer update the Airport Express. Apple discontinued the product back in 2018. They're not supporting it anymore. And so he's like, I'm kind of looking for a replacement and I don't know what to do because, you know, I really like the stereo. I'd like to continue to use it. But should I just give up on that since Apple, you know, gave up on the Airport Express and go with something like a HomePod Mini? And obviously, you can't use a HomePod Mini like you do an Airport Express to, you know, plug in a 3.5 millimeter jack and airplay through that through an old receiver or powered speakers or something like that. The AirPod, the HomePod Mini, uh, to me, is a great sounding speaker. And so if you just want to replace your whole stereo system, Michael, with a HomePod, I, I think you'd probably be happy. I don't know how the sound quality would compare because I don't know what your uh, receiver setup looks like. But there probably are some options, some things that you could do. So one thing I immediately thought of is uh, airfoil from Rogue Amoeba, Rogue Amoeba. And uh, this is software for your Mac, your iOS devices, your Windows machines, your Android devices, where basically you can route audio from that system through AirPlay speakers or also other airfoil devices, other Macs and computers with, with airfoil on them. They actually have a companion bit of software called Airfoil Satellite. And so with Airfoil Satellite, what you can do is you can take an iPhone, a Mac, an Android device, a Windows PC, and use that as a receiver for the Airfoil audio from a Mac or an iOS device. So basically, you can route wirelessly audio through Airfoil from one device to another. So one thing you could do is you could take an old iPhone or a Mac or an Android device or a PC install airfoil satellite on that and then using the airfoil application play your audio from a mac or an ios device through that through um and say an old iphone running airfoil satellite connected to your stereo basically turn that into what amounts to the, the same thing as your airport express is now and the airfoil software works really really great um, the only thing is you have to use Airfoil. So that's an option. It's a thing to think about. And I love Rogue Amoeba. I use a lot of their software. As a matter of fact, I use Audio Hijack Pro uh, to do a lot of my podcast stuff along with uh, SoundSource and a bunch of other uh, a bunch of other applications over the years. Actually, I also use their app Vision for creating the enhanced version, the chapterized version of this podcast or adding the chapters in for this podcast. So Great company, a lot of great software. So that would definitely be an option. But what's interesting is in the same week that you emailed me, Michael, I got an email from Jay who folks may remember if you listened to the show for a long time. He emailed me way, way back when. I, I want to say it was at least over a year ago, but maybe it hasn't been that long. My memory as I've gotten older is not that great. But he had the same situation as you did, Michael, just about a year ago. He was using Airport Express's uh, and was worried about their longevity and was looking for a replacement, an alternative. And at the time, I did a bunch of research, and the only thing I could come up with was this really weird 
I think it was just a Chinese product called AudioCast. It was this little puck, and it did AirPlay 2 audio, or maybe it was only AirPlay audio. And it was the only option I could find at the time. I had never really tried it out, but I suggested he kind of take a look at it and see if that could work for him. Ended up buying these things. And he emailed me this week and said, hey, those had been working fine until recently. What happened was into my audio setup, I ended up adding a couple of HomePod minis. So he went the HomePod mini route for some additional zones and and speakers, but he still had these old uh, audio casts that were hooked into, I would assume, either power speakers or a receiver, just like you were were doing, Michael. And he said, now with these HomePod minis, the problem I'm having is that the audio cast system has a slight delay. And, you know, if you're using all audio casts, they're all going to have the same delay, so you're not really going to notice it. But now that he's got these HomePod minis, He's going from room to room and the audio is not quite syncing up, which could be really, really annoying. So he said, hey, I was looking for something else, uh, some other kind of replacement, because I didn't want to replace these you know, receivers, these powered speakers that I've been using. And I found a product from Belkin called the Belkin Soundform Connect. It's an AirPlay 2 connection. And he said it completely solved the delay issues. And even better yet, what's cool about this versus the audio cast is that the Belkin Soundform supports HomeKit. So I can have everything, you know, in the Home app and, and on HomeKit, and I can control everything from there. So if you want to stay, Michael, 100% in the AirPlay 2 world, and you want to get HomeKit compatibility, and you want to still connect your old receiver, and you want to replace those Airport Expresses, it sounds like the Belkin Soundform Connect is the thing you want, this audio adapter. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com, and that's why it's this week's thing of the moment. Um, it's about the same price as the old Airport Expresses used to be, $99 US. It's on sale right now for $79. Um, one thing that it has that the original airport express didn't is in addition to a 3.5 millimeter audio, uh, output jack, it has a, an optical jack as well. So you can connect this to a stereo that works on an optical connector or a sound bar or something like that. It's pretty simple. You just connect the output to the input on your stereo or powered speakers, and then you power on the Belkin Soundform device. And after that, it should just show up as an AirPlay 2 device that you can send audio to. And it's as simple as that. So really cool product. And anybody who's looking to replace a set of Airport Expresses that they've been using for this application, this seems like it's probably a product to go with. Belkin makes good stuff. They've been around for years in in our community. And uh, I'd have no problem recommending them. Again, I haven't tried it out personally, but we have an endorsement from our listener, Jay, who says they're working great for him. So because of that, that is this week's thing of the moment. And with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Thank you for hanging out with me for another one. This was a fun one because, again, we got to talk about all kinds of new, new products. And I'm excited to get mine and share my thoughts and opinions on a future show with you about them. Um, if you do get any of these new products, specifically if you get an Apple Watch Ultra, I'd love to hear from you. Let us know your opinion when you receive that. Send us a little audio review. That would be awesome. But like I said, with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Uh, before I leave you, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of our show supporters. 
Uh, bandwidth for the MacCast has been provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9, and you can leave a voicemail there. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash themaccast. Or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. And I guess I should also mention that uh, we have a YouTube channel where we post clips of the audio in the podcast. So if you want to hear highlights or you want to share a highlight with somebody, uh, we are posting some of the favorite clips from different episodes up on YouTube. You can find the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash MacCast. All right, that's going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. 